I want to start a, a new series with you for these first couple months of uh, 2017. Uh, I don't know exactly what to call it, and, and Gabe is our wordsmith, so I'm going to just put my raw thing out there, and then he'll fix it later. Uh, it's, it, it, it's the idea of what is an authentic spirituality? What, is, what, what does it mean to have a real spirituality or, or a, a genuine form of spirituality? A lot of people say they are spiritual, but what, is, what does it mean to have a, a really authentic spirituality? And what I'm, what I'm going to drive at for about probably about eight sessions with you is there is an authenticated spirituality. It's authenticated by the Word of God. It's authenticated by the results of the lives of the people who had this kind of spirituality. And it's, it's more than anything else, it's based in the prayer lives of the people. The, the truest test of your spirituality in, mil- in many ways is your prayer life. Because it, it's there that you, you manifest a real relationship with God. And so today we're going to start with what I, I, I want to call the believer's prayer. If you've ever, um, if you've ever done re- evangelism, you'll know that there's a thing called the sinner's prayer. And that when someone is, is uh, on the verge of making a decision for Christ, we ask them to pray the sinner's prayer. We ask them to confess and to admit that they are sinners in need of a Savior. And we ask them to, to come into alignment with believing that Jesus is that Savior, and that He is risen from the dead, and that what He did, He did for that person. That's what we call the sinner's prayer. But today I want us to focus on what I would call the, a priority prayer for the believer, the believer's prayer. So if you look in your bulletin, the upside-down one, uh, you'll see the text for today. I didn't think about this, but it's actually pretty good on New Year's Day to have a verse that starts off with, do not be drunk with wine. That is completely an accident, but utterly appropriate, I would say. <laughs> it's too late for some. Hopefully they will get this on live stream, those who are... All right, so would you read, I'd like you to read the scripture with me. This is... What I would say is this is the direction for the believer's prayer here. So let's read this together. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another reverence for Christ. So let's think a little bit about it. It says here, be filled with the Spirit. So who is the Spirit? The the greatest revelation or manifestation of who the Spirit is actually doesn't come from Paul, but it comes from John. In the Gospel of John, Jesus from chapter 14 through chapter 16 unpacks who the person is of the Holy Spirit is. And it it is very intentional that Jesus reveals the Holy Spirit as a person, not a thing. And so I'd like you to I'd like you to to use this 
definition with me. Would you read it with me? He's the personal, see that? The personal divine resident in the Christian's heart. Say it one more time. The personal divine resident in the Christian's heart. This is an amazing, awesome thing that if you're a believer, you have, you have the Holy Spirit, the personal divine resident in your heart. He's a person, not an it. He, we know this because he grieves, he, he argues with you, he, uh, he, he, he reaches out to you, he, he pursues you. You know, he decides things he loves. But he's also, he's also God. Now, when Jesus announces about the Holy Spirit, he says it this way. I am sending to you another counselor. But the word another here, sometimes the word another can be another but different. But in this case, the word that is used there is very specific And it actually means another just like me. So in every way that Jesus is, in every way that Jesus was, the Holy Spirit is and is divinely resident in your heart. Everything that Jesus was, everything that he did, everything that he has, has been deposited with the residence of the divine spirit in your spirit. For any of us, for any of us to believe that we are going to be nothing but failures, losers, that there's not the power to overcome within us is to deny the truth of the Holy Spirit in the believer. He is a person that is for you in the exact same way that Jesus is for you. If this table doesn't prove that Jesus is for you, I don't know what it's going to take to to prove it to you. He is for you. The other thing, let's see if I can, there we go, got to click it right. The Holy Spirit wants to be the divine person right in the middle of your life. He doesn't just want to be resident in your heart, but he wants to be in the middle of your life so that you will experience his joy and power. He wants to fill you with all that he is and all that he has. Let me, let me give you an example of this quickly. Many of you have probably, if you've prayed at all in your life, or you've had thoughts of being a better person, you've prayed for something to change. A lot of people pray for patience. Stupid prayer. Because what happens when you pray for patience is you get things in which you need to be patient. Which then reveals you have no patience. And so then many of us give up and they either say, prayer doesn't work, or I'm not going to pray that prayer, or whatever. Instead of recognizing you have all the patience of Christ already dwelling within you. It's not in your soul. It's not in your personality. It's not in your willpower. It's in the divine personal resident. And it is as you begin to appropriate him being in the middle of your life, you will see the patience of Jesus begin to manifest in your life. Because in the end, if it's your willpower that makes you patient, then you get the glory. But few of us have patience anyway. What most of us have is resignation. We just give up. We just quit hoping. We just dull our senses. You see, 
what we're going to look at when we talk about the fullness of the Spirit is, a, is that the resonance of the Spirit allows you to have an unrelenting joy even in the midst of the most trying circumstances. Now, what is the fullness of the Spirit? Well, it's an acute consciousness of the glorious person who lives within the walls of your life. Now, you may say to me, okay, how does that help me? Well, if he has decided, if he has chosen to live in his glory in you, then his glory now dwells with you. You're you're not what you were. And you never have to be what you were again. But you have to begin to appropriate who he is, what he believes about you, what he has to say for you, and you have to begin to be led by him. The key isn't just that he's in your life. The key is that he becomes the middle, the center of your life. That instead of working from the outside in on your life, he starts to work from the inside out. Listen, there's a a story that one pastor told that that struck me. He said that a, a longtime member of his church came to him and said, I've been having an affair for years with another one, with a woman other than my wife, and we've actually been having relationship in our house, in my own, in our own bed. So whenever my wife was away from town, I would bring my mistress up to our bedroom. He said, but the problem was that all over our house there are pictures of her, and there are pictures of us, our marriage, our wedding, all these things. He said, before the mistress could come, I had to either put them in a drawer, turn them away, take them down, or do whatever, because I, I just had this sense of her presence in the house. When I heard that, I went, that's how many Christians live. They're having an affair with the world. They're having an affair with things that are idolatrous. They're having an affair with things that are sensual. They're having an affair with their very flesh, but the divine, the personal divine resonant is still there. So what they have to do is they have to turn the picture away. They have to turn him off. They have to turn him around. They have to put him into the drawer. And then people come to me and say, I don't know why I'm so spiritually dry. I don't know why I'm so unhappy in my Christian life. Well, Because no one is more unhappy than a Christian who's having an affair with the world. Because you were made to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, are you tracking with me? Uh I know it's first day of the year. (laughs) Oops, went too far. What happens to us is that whether you know it or not, you're living in an age where there's, there's so much technology and there's so much... You know, there's so much stuff happening, but what you and I want is we want experience. We want to we feel something, and so sometimes we will do almost anything to feel something. And so we have this hunger that we don't really realize, but it's a hunger for an encounter with God or for an experience with God. But the problem is that many of us have this incredibly unhealthy desire to stay in control. And we have this unhealthy desire that everything that happens has to happen now. There is this instant gratification 
that is so predominant that if it doesn't happen now, then we give up on it really quickly. Now, some of us are old in this room, okay? Some of us are young in this room. If you're older, you'll remember there wasn't a lot of credit in the 60s. There was layaway. Some of you are going, what's that? <laughs> if you go to Walmart, they still sometimes have layaway at certain places. And the idea was you put something aside and you paid a little bit on it every, every, every week or every month or whatever it was. And when you, got, when you got to the full price, you got the thing. Well, none of us do that if we have a credit card. You just go ahead and pay it and then you pay interest and late fees and, you know, whatever else that offsets any discount you might have gotten on that product because we want it now. We can't wait. We have to have it now. Many of us, Christmas is no big deal because we've already bought ourselves everything we want before. My wife goes, what do I buy you? You just buy yourself everything. I just go on Amazon and say, I want that, want that. You understand? You understand what's going on. Whether you know it or not, you and I are being influenced by everything around us. And we are judging God and we are critiquing God through a spirit of this age. And so either that experience has to be greater, it has to be more impressive, it has to be more possessing. Or we look for something else. But Paul says this. He says, don't be foolish. And then he says, don't be drunk with wine. Now, it's obvious that when he uses this imagery of being drunk with wine, he's making a similarity and a contrast to what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to I put out for you that what this passage literally means... and, and some of you in here, you've had experiences with the Holy Spirit. Some of you maybe have had no experiences with the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you, do not allow your experiences or your lack of experience to interpret Scripture. Let a Scripture interpret your experience and let the Scripture interpret your inexperience. Either way. So let's look at this more literally. All right, so it says... Basically, the spirit-filled life is the opposite of the alcohol-filled life. Now, that means in some simple ways that the spirit-filled life gives you a real control over yourself. The spirit-filled life gives you a balance in your life. It gives you discipline. It gives you refinement. Now, what do, what do I mean by this? kind of contrast that's going on here. Well, there's a television program called The Voice. I don't necessarily like the program, but someone I live with likes the program. <laughs> and she has a very, very prescriptive way to watch it. It has to be recorded. We have to be able to fast forward through certain parts of it. And she pretty much only likes the early rounds of it. But it is a fascinating illustration of what we're talking about here. Listen, people come on that program. Every single one of them can sing. There's not a one of them that comes on that program. Even the ones that are rejected, they can sing. They have, a, they have some kind of quality to their voice. They have something, something there. But do you know what the judges will say? They will choose their contestants or their team. They will choose them 
for that quality quite often, but more than anything else, they're looking for control of the voice. Does this person stay in tune? Do they have intonation? Does this person, is this person able to really express the highs and the lows of the music? Does this person, are they teachable? Are they, in other words, can they be corrected? Are they willing to be refined? You know what happens in that show? A lot of times they get 16, 17, and 18-year-olds. You know why? Because they can be taught. Because they're willing to hear the criticism. Because they're willing to be corrected. You know what happens to older ones? They think they know what they're doing. And even though this is a great star or a great celebrity, they still... And the interesting thing is, there are some people when they sing, they have too little. And so the, the coach says, we need more. And then there are some where they have, these, they have these, these riffs and these runs and they have all this stuff and they're all over the map and the coach says, we need less. You see, if you think about it, there is something in you that is now supernatural and divine. There's a voice, there's a song that comes from heaven that is resident in your life. But the Spirit of God alone can bring you to the place where you can control that voice, where you can control that song, where it's actually in tune, not out of tune. Some of you do too much with it. Some of you do too little with it. Either way, he's going to refine it. Come on, this is pretty good. I mean, if you, if you think about it. I, I like watching the coaches tell the, you know, the contestants uh, you know, their, their notes on it. But one of the things that's interesting is really often the contestants will pick songs that are not good for them. And the coach will say, I don't know about this. But see, down at the local pub, this song was a big hit. You know, when they were gigging, this was a big hit. And so they think, I can knock this one out of the park. And they go against the coach's advice. And they sing their song. And you go, you should have listened to your coach. Because you thought that was a great song, but it wasn't. And it wasn't good for your voice. See, this is what the Bible calls quenching the Holy Spirit. When you decide that your song is the song to sing, when you decide that your will, your way, your your way of getting things done, your way of satisfying your hunger, do you know what one of the best definitions of sin for me is one of the best working definitions is that you try to get a legitimate need met in an illegitimate way. In other words, you sing a song that's not right for you. And instead of listening to the coach, you listen to yourself. Now, there's one thing that's really different here than the voice, and that is that none of those coaches can empower those singers to sing. They can inspire them, they can correct them, they can discipline them, they can do all of those things, but they themselves cannot sing with the singer and it not be a duet. Come on, you have to think with me. So there's two voices. See, the Holy Spirit sings with you and there's only one voice. It's your voice. It's your voice. This is why, this is why sometimes I want to just just kind of pop people a little bit. When they go, you go up to them and say, oh, that was beautiful, it blessed me. And they go, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. 
And I just want to say, did Jesus knock you out of the way and come sing that for you? You see, if it, was that, if it were that way, if it were just Jesus singing, then we wouldn't have heard your voice. See, this is the beauty of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, is it's your voice, but empowered by the Spirit. It's not a duet. Maybe that's too deep for this morning. You see, the greatest celebrity coach can only inspire, but as soon as that celebrity coach starts singing, it's a duet. But when the Holy Spirit sings with you and empowers you to be in tune and empowers you to have the right riffs and empowers you to sing with all your heart, it's still you. And it's your voice. And you get to enjoy the blessing of the fullness of the Spirit of God. So when we preach, it is Jesus making his appeal through us, but it's still us preaching. When we teach, when we when we minister to, our, to, the, to, the, to the broken, to the poor, when we counsel, when we do the things that we do, we are getting to do it. It's not a duet. It's an empowerment for you to be the best you. And what happens is you start having control of your voice. You start having a refinement of your personality. You start to have a balance. See, instead of the high highs and the low lows, you start to live in a place of unrelenting joy. It's not a duet. It's a solo, but empowered by the Spirit. Jesus himself said, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do what the Father's doing. So what he's saying there is Jesus himself did his ministry as a man empowered by the Spirit. And yet it was fully Jesus. It's an awesome thing when you think about it. Well, are you tracking with me on this? Yes, sir. This thing does not want to change. It's not tracking. <laughs> so the spirit-filled life is different or the opposite of this word debauchery. Do you ever notice that some words sound bad? Just the word itself? <laughs> I mean, when you say you, you are fornicating, it sounds like you are really bad, doesn't it? I mean, it, it just, so when you are debauched, that sounds like you're just the wretch of the earth. I mean, it's just the word itself. But what, what that word simply means is that, is that you are exhausted. You are burned out. It means that you have spent everything you have on something that has no worth or value. And so, you know, the thing is that the Holy Spirit is not leading you into exhaustion. He is not leading you into burnout. So guess what's happening when you think God is telling you to do certain things and you think people are pulling you in certain ways and you're listening to them? You have stopped listening to the Spirit and you've lost the fullness of the Spirit. Burnout signals I'm not full. I love people who, who, who continue to say to me, though their lives are a mess, they're, they're living in immorality, they're, they're making bad decisions, they're, they're angry, they're hurt, they're, they're, they're bitter, and they're all these things. And they say, but I'm still filled with the Spirit. I'm like, every indication there, if you have any awareness whatsoever, is that you're not full of the Spirit. And do you know why? It's because we lie. 
We lie to ourselves and we lie to others. And we lie in the church and we say, if you're full of the Spirit, you're always going to look like I'm in right, out right, up right, down right, happier all the time. Do you know what? The Holy Spirit doesn't want shallow wells. He wants deep wells to fill. He wants deep, deep wells to fill. And you know what has to happen for those deep wells to be filled? They have to be emptied first. Do you know how painful it is to empty your soul? It's difficult. We resist it. Do you know what Job did? Do you remember what Job did when he lost his family? He didn't go, praise the Lord. He went, I'm in anguish. He cried. He screamed. He tore his clothing. Do you know what most churches would do? Brother, you've lost the spirit. You've lost your victory. And poor Job would have to go somewhere else to be able to commiserate with how bad his life was. Do you know what being filled with the spirit is? It's being soaked in the spirit. It's being saturated with the Spirit so that you are more aware, not less aware. Now, listen to me. I'm going to go through this quick because I'm running out of time. The Spirit of God is a stimulant. Alcohol is a depressant. Come on, say it with me. The Spirit of God is a stimulant. Alcohol is a depressant. Both want to face the same things. No, you don't have to say this part. You guys, you guys get so good at this. All right, both want to face the same things, but they do it in completely different ways. Alcohol depresses you, and this is what it means. It doesn't mean you become depressed. It means you become less aware. What, listen, think about the people, maybe, maybe you or yourselves, when you've had to have a drink or when you've had to get drunk or whatever it was, you sit there and you listen to people. What does it all mean? You ever seen that? It's so funny. You're like, you know, right now I don't think you could handle the answer much less. But it makes them ask the question. You'll see these people, you know, see these people at, at a bar going, tell me what it all means. Because what happened is that, that there's a depressing of awareness. And so you begin, to, you begin to ask these questions for which you have no capacity for the answer. Alcohol also give, alcohol, it gives you courage. So you know why it gives you courage? It's not because you get courageous. It's because you forget about consequences. It depresses that part of your brain that reminds you that if you say this, you'll get punched. It depresses those parts of the brain that would make you aware of consequences. Alcohol also depresses any sense of awareness of reality. It makes it to where reality doesn't seem so real. The problem is that you can't stay drunk. Now, some of you might take that up as a challenge. (laughs) But physically, you can't stay there. And so, what is the Holy Spirit in opposition or in contrast to being drunk is he begins to stimulate and he actually opens up your mind to see what the real purpose of your life is, what the real meaning of your life. He makes you more aware of reality because what happens when you look 
at life without the Holy Spirit, life looks big and you look small. Life looks like a giant storm and you look like a little peon. It is when your Holy Spirit opens you up and you go, life is small, God is big. Life is small, God's promises are huge. But they won't be huge to you unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He has to be the stimulant. And then, think about this. There's a boldness that comes when you're filled with the Holy Spirit because you are fully aware of your consequences. I am living in the face of God. I am living in the love of God of the Spirit of God. I'm living in the power of God. You begin to realize, if God is for me, who can be against me? And that's real courage. That's not depressed courage. That's stimulated courage. And all you need when you begin to go through the problems of life is that fullness of the Spirit who says to you, who says to you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. See, but what, what do we do? Instead of, instead of going to the stimulants, we go to the depressant. We try to make our world littler. We try to make our reality smaller. We try to make ourselves have courage or meaning out of something that can't give us courage or meaning. Here's, let me close with this. Are you with me a little bit today? <laughs> close with this. If you quench the Spirit, you're basically ignoring the promptings of the Spirit in your life. You're turning His picture around while you have an affair with the world. And then you're wondering why you're not satisfied. When you grieve the Spirit, grieving the Spirit isn't a one-time thing. It is a lifestyle of defying the Spirit. The lifestyle of defying the Spirit. Now, it's fascinating to me. In Colossians 3.16, as well as here in Ephesians 5.18, we have two different commands, but two exactly the same results. Both of them cause melody to be made in your heart, cause thanksgiving to come to the Father. There comes a, a trust and a submission among each of us with each other, and there comes a reverence for Christ that changes all our relationships. But these two have to be together. It says, not only do you need to be filled with the Spirit, but you have to let the Word of God dwell richly in you. You see, whatever drunk you ever go on will, will eventually end. But what this is saying is that the fullness of the Spirit is based on an unrelenting truth. And that if you hold on to that truth, you will encounter God in such a way that that, will, that joy will never, ever dissipate. These, it's a joy, the Bible says, that's unspeakable. It's a joy that's not circumstantial. Here's, here's what I want to ask you today. Aren't you willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, aren't you tired of the superficial? Tired of, the, you know, trying to find the easy way? Wouldn't it make more sense? Wouldn't it make more sense that you go deep with God? That this be the year of fullness. Now, some people say to me, oh, I just want the experiences of the Holy Spirit. I just want to be drunk in the Spirit. I just want to, you know, that sounds a lot like being drunk in anything. 
Because it's basically still trying to resist reality. It's like, I don't want to have to pay my bills. I don't want to have to, I don't want to work all day. I just want to sing and play, you know, and, and all of this kind of stuff. And do it in the name of God. That's not the fullness of the Spirit. That's debauchery, but in another way. Because it's still, it's wasted, it's squandering, it's all of these things. It's, you know, there are plenty of people who are running off after adolescence, calling it spirit-filled. If you look at this text, when someone looks like they're dissipating their life, when someone looks like they're wasted, when someone looks like they've exhausted themselves, that's more like drunkenness than fullness. I want to be filled. And I want to pay the price of what it is to pray the prayer, fill me, Holy Spirit. Now, it is absolutely clear to me that anything you ask according to the will of God, he will do. So if you say, fill me, he's going to fill you. But he's also going to empty you so that he can fill you. Will you stand with me? Was this too much for January 1st? <laughs> I was, this one thing I, I was touched this morning, I was remembering last year, um, I came back from my recovery, from my surgery, all these things, and I, I was, um, <laughs> people were mad at me because I did three services and I am hard-headed that way, you know. And, and uh, at the 10 o'clock service, and I know I'm getting in trouble because we're going to run into crowds, but I just felt like the Lord showed me this. At the 10 o'clock service, um, I had this ecstatic experience with the Lord. And when I was preaching, I felt like I was flying. I mean, it just felt like I just had this amazing experience. It was just a high, high, high. And I didn't want it to end. Lisa always says I can get the plane up, but I have trouble landing it. So, uh, uh, but I mean, it was, it was high. I mean, it was a high experience with the Lord. I felt one with the people. I felt one with the Spirit. It was amazing. And then I, I you know, came down, and then the, sec- the third service came. And, and it was good, and I enjoyed it. But it wasn't the same. And I went home, and Lisa was not there. I was, I was by myself. And I had a crash like I hadn't had in years. And I, I went into, for just a few minutes, I went into this horrible depression. Because the high, high was I couldn't stay there. And then I hit this low, low. And some of it was adrenaline, because my body's all messed up from what was going on and, and all that. But, but I, I had this... I had this very clear sense that there is this part of my flesh that wants to live flying. But you know what? You have a third service and you have to be obedient. And a lot of life is plotting. And if you get angry or upset or depressed because you don't get to fly all the time, then you miss being obedient when the adrenaline's not there. And you begin to get angry with God because you didn't feel the joy you felt in the one thing. He's like, why can't I have that all the time? Why can't I have that all the time? 
And the thing that he spoke to me says, you love the gifts more than you love the giver. And it was in that moment I went, no, I, I love you. I love you. Now, if my depression was so, are you tracking with me on this? I feel kind of vulnerable telling you this. My depression was so much, I called Lisa up and I said, I want to quit preaching forever. That's how bad it felt. I said, I don't ever want to feel this empty again. Ever, 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 ever. That's how, I'm, I'm telling you, it was high, high, low, 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 low. And it was as the Spirit began to speak to me. And he said, he said, you, this, you look for the gifts, not the giver. You look for the results, not the master. And at that moment, I just repented. And I said, the gifts come and go. The results come and go. The one thing that never stays the same that never changes, that always stays the same, is you're my treasure. You're my ultimate. And you, you can command me to do whatever you want me to do. And when there are those highs, I'll rejoice. And when there are those lows, I will rejoice because I want to be filled with your spirit, not just filled with circumstances. Are you hearing me on this? Can we take hold of that today? He has gifts for you, but until you love the giver more than the gifts, the enemy of your soul can tweak the gifts. Would you just reach out your hands with me? Fill me, Holy Spirit. Would you say it? Fill me, Holy Spirit. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to show you how much capacity you have for filling. And then he's going to do something really beautiful. He's going to show you how good the giver is, how glorious he is. And in the glory of Jesus, you're going to have a melody in your heart. And you're going to have thankfulness. And then that thankfulness is also going to produce a way of relating to people like you've never done before. And you'll live in a reverence. You see... The thing the Spirit's trying to do, it's, He's not just trying to get goals met. He's trying to lift up Jesus to you. So that in your heart, you revere Jesus as your ultimate. You see, because no matter what the circumstances are, if He's your ultimate, then the Holy Spirit's filling you. Thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. The elders are up here. If any of you want a prayer over healing or anything else, God bless you. Happy New Year.